There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the seas and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life, and that day catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. T.S. Eliot wrote, I find words I never thought to speak in streets I never thought I should revisit. Lord, as we revisit today the ancient streets of Scripture, may the words we find there be your word both in its speaking and in its hearing. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thanksgiving weekend has been leisurely and restful in our home. We were in town all weekend, which is unusual for us at Thanksgiving. And we hosted my wife's brother, sister-in-law, and mother for part of the weekend meaning that we had a lot of hands preparing dinner, cleaning up, and most of all, sharing the feast. Passing through the den on Thanksgiving morning, I caught a scene from Fiddler on the Roof, sung and danced on the street stage as part of the Macy's annual Thanksgiving Day Parade. The scene transported me back in time to a similar Thanksgiving 50 years ago when I watched the parade with my grandmother, on the brand new RCA color television set that we had bought and delivered just before. And on Friday, I read a fascinating story in the Post about a young woman in Detroit who had saved $1,000 from her job working at Home Depot and who was able to purchase a home for that $1,000 in an online auction of abandoned properties conducted by the city of Detroit, and then to renovate that home up to a livable condition with a $25,000 grant that she had received from a bank. She had thus moved home ownership from the status of a far-flung fantasy in her life to a dream realized. And in the process, she played a small part in the slow but steady revival of a once great city 
that had fallen into bankruptcy and blight. But even as these warm experiences provided a haven from the heartlessness of the world we've experienced over the past few weeks, the heartlessness did not abate this weekend. As one day it grew to include images and a mugshot from Chicago, and a few days later, images and a mugshot from Colorado Springs. Even when the volume on heartlessness is muted and its picture relegated to the background of a Thanksgiving feast, it never seems to take a holiday. As I stood at the counter and carved turkey, I was assisted by a friend whom I had invited to share the weekend, the apocalyptic text that we just read, the text on which I knew I would preach today, a Sunday when we might prefer a text that inches us a bit closer to Christmas and to the birth of Christ than this text seems to allow. In many ways, this text sounds as heartless as the news that we have been hearing. Distress among nations, roaring of sea and wave, faintness from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world. It's not a pretty sight, this text, nor sound, despite its being from Luke, a gospel otherwise filled with music and the artistry of angels, the songs of Mary and Zechariah. But as often happens with me, the second hearing of a text is more encouraging than the first. This time the encouragement came not through my own innate sense of what the text might mean, but through someone to whom I have long entrusted texts that puzzle me, the late Fred Craddock, one of my teachers. Craddock points out that this text appears in a long chapter in Luke that occurs as the conflict between Jesus and his detractors is heating up. In fact, the plot to put Jesus to death occurs just after this text. The Last Supper is just around the corner. The cross awaits in the distance. In this tense setting, as Jesus does in Matthew and Luke, he breaks into an apocalyptic discourse, teaching that is hard for us to understand because it is cryptic and filled with symbols, most containing warnings or images of gloom. Distress among nations, roaring of sea and wave, fear and foreboding. But Craddock points out that the dire warnings and the harsh images that Jesus speaks in this text point to divine judgment on failed persons and failed institutions in this world, not on people who remain diligently faithful. It is the nations, according to Craddock, whom Jesus says will faint from fear and foreboding. It is the nations who will experience distress. It is the nations on whom sea and wave will roar. In fact, according to Craddock, what Jesus promises in this text is the end of the world as we experience it in all its horror and violence and the beginning of 
of a new world. When these things begin to take place, Jesus says, your redemption is near. Your redemption. Once I realize that what Jesus is describing in this text is the world beyond the world of historical events that we see and touch and grieve so frequently these days, that what Jesus is describing is the end of the world as we experience it in its harshness and its violence, its Chicago and Colorado Springs. That what Jesus is describing is the beginning of a new world that is set in the larger context of God's good and redemptive purposes for all of creation. I came to see that this text from Jesus' lips and others like it in other Gospels actually promise that to which we have been sad witness these days can only be ended by the power of God, but in fact will be ended by the power of God. When you see these things taking place, Jesus says, know that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, is near, near, coming. Once I came to this more hopeful understanding of the text, I was then in a position to receive and hear its call that occurs at the end. Be on guard, the text says, Jesus says. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. Be on guard that the day of the Lord doesn't catch you unexpectedly like a trap. Be alert at all times, praying, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things, that you will have the strength to stand before the Son of Man. As Craddock says, these last words by Christ provide dramatic witness to the tenacity of faith and to the tenacity of hope among the people of God. They represent faith turning its face, turning our face toward heaven to peer behind a revelation of God's ultimate will, to see a vision of the end of our present misery, to a vision of the beginning of the age to come, God's age, God's kingdom, coming to us and at us from the future. If I may move the lens of this camera back even further, with today's worship, we begin ever so slightly to prepare for our celebration of the birth of Christ, which is 27 days from now. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Glory, Gloria in excelsis Deo. The music and the meditation of our Advent devotional. As we turn our collective face toward Christmas, most of us dearly hope that the infant holy, infant lowly will lead our world to take a deep breath 
and will lead us to squeeze the hand of someone near, to remember with poignant fondness someone who is no longer here, will lead us for one brief moment to experience in this life, in our world, in our family, in our relationships, beauty, hope, love, perhaps even reconciliation, racial, religious, ethnic, global. But deep down inside, we know that Christ's birth in and of itself does not bring an end to our suffering and sadness. It does not bring an end to the division and death and destruction that so mar our world. We know this because we've been there before. Celebrating the beauty of Christ's birth while waking up the next day to a world that seems not to notice. A world, as Auden writes, in which the kitchen table exists because I still have to scrub it. Yet what Christ's birth does mark is the beginning of a new generation in history. A generation of which we are a part. A generation that lives between the time of Christ's birth and the time of Christ's promised return. We are the generation who have received the news of his birth and have heard his promise that our generation will continue until his return, will continue until the day when God's kingdom arrives in all its fullness, when God's will for all of humanity will be done, when God's redemption of the earth and all of its people will be completed. The church has come to call that day the second coming, the return of Christ, the end of history. In the Old Testament, a similar expectation was called the day of the Lord. We don't talk about the second coming much in the Presbyterian church. Often for fear we will be associated with those Christians who seem to talk about it incessantly and in ways that are foreign or even embarrassing to us. Ways that seem to use it more out of a tool for fear than as a promise of hope. To be sure, no human being is privy to the time frame in which the second coming will occur. You know, neither the time nor the date, Jesus said. It lies beyond our knowledge and control. And we prefer to talk about things that we have some control over. But even though there's nothing much we can do or should do to speed up the return of Christ, there is promise. God's promise. Christ's promise. It will come upon all who live on the face of the earth, he says. And in the meantime... Before this thing happens, whenever it will happen, we have Christ's words, his teachings, his scriptures, his texts, even like this one. Words which he says will never 
pass away. We need not fear or shy away from the promise of Christ's return. He made the promise while he was still alive. It hasn't happened yet. It probably won't happen in our lifetimes. But it will happen someday. And when it does, when it does, it will be good and beautiful. Because it will be redemptive. When these things take place, he says, stand up and raise your head. Because your redemption is present. In that regard, it is Christ's promise that really matters. That is worth living for and worth living toward. No matter how many images and mugshots are added to human history and to our consciousness, each day between now and that day when Christ returns, when we and each person who comes after us in our generation sees glimpses of God's kingdom coming, infant holy, infant lowly, the squeezed hand, the purchase of a home, the revival and renewal of a city, When we see these signs, we can stand up and raise our heads. We should stand up and raise our heads because the future is drawing near. And the future belongs to God. Amen.